Howdy. This is Too Busy for Crypto. This podcast is for fans of cryptocurrency who want to learn and articulate ideas, but who don't have time to be watching hours of YouTube videos where most of the best crypto education currently exists. This episode, I will discuss what is a decentralized exchange, or DEX. This is a medium difficulty topic that applies to decentralized finance, or DeFi, as opposed to any specific cryptocurrency. If you get lost, please pause and listen to my episode, What is Crypto? as an introduction. Let's begin. What is a DEX? It is a collection of smart contracts that book, match, and root orders so that a user may swap one token for another. On the Ethereum chain, ETH is the native token, and all other tokens are smart contracts. I will attempt to explain some of what is going on under the hood, but I am by no means an expert on this topic. As with anything in the world of real DeFi, there are risks and trade-offs. I will mention some risks and trade-offs, but I may leave others out. The main idea that I want to convey is how a decentralized exchange differs from a centralized exchange. There is no slang for centralized exchange. I will call it a Synex. Most people barely grasp how a Synex works, let alone a DEX. Synexes are the most common type of exchange in the regular world of banking and fiat currency. They are also the most prevalent in the broader crypto world. Synexes that trade cryptocurrency are part of the realm of fake crypto. Fake refers to the ethos and mechanisms, not any company business model. Real cryptocurrency must trade either directly peer-to-peer or on an over-the-counter OTC exchange or on a decentralized exchange. Services that provide fiat on-ramps are both Synexes and banks, which makes them fake crypto from the perspective of real crypto. That does not mean that they are evil or bad, it just means they are middlemen, which is the key property that real cryptocurrency eliminates. Companies like Coinbase or Kraken or TrueUSD might possibly not technically be a bank according to regulatory definitions, but They are businesses that engage in the regulated activities of money custodians and money transmitters. If a business has to follow banking regulations or does banky things, then it is a bank to us. Also, investment companies and brokers are not technically banks, but they are banks from the perspective of crypto, because they are middlemen that engage in the regulated activities of money custodians and money transmitters. Entities that follow banking regulations are like people that are told when and how to wipe and how many squares to use. Cryptocurrency is ultimately computer code that allows for middleman-free activities of speech and publishing and peaceable assembly. 
decentralized exchanges differ from centralized exchanges because there is something else going on in the exchange mechanism that does not fulfill the definition of a middleman or a money custodian or a money transmitter. Correct. Not a money transmitter. A money transmitter, by definition, is a business. Blockchains contain code, not businesses. Code is math or speech, depending on the perspective. Blockchain networks are decentralized. A business is an entity and is also a legal person, and therefore is a centralized single thing. Decentralized things are not single entities. They are networks of many autonomous entities that each run a common code on their own. What happens on an exchange platform? An exchange platform facilitates a trade between two persons who hold different items. In the fiat currency world, we are conditioned to think of the exchange activity as buying and selling. In the cryptocurrency world, it is more correct to say exchange or swap or trade rather than buy or sell. The fiat world deals with currency like dollars. Dollars are not money or assets. They are unsecured banknotes, which is an accounting unit of debt. Because our government forces us to use dollars from a private, non-government bank through legal tender laws, and because they require us to pay taxes in dollars, we are used to thinking of dollars as a foundational unit of account. Cryptocurrency is different. In the case of Bitcoin, there is only Bitcoin on the Bitcoin network. Bitcoin only does simple send and receive. If you want to acquire or dispose of Bitcoin using dollars or trade goods, then you can call that buying and selling because you're interacting with the world outside of the network. In the case of Ethereum and smart contracts, ETH and every ERC-20 smart contract is a unique cryptocurrency. One can stay on the Ethereum network forever, trading ETH for an ERC-20, this ERC-20 for that ERC-20, for another ERC-20, back to ETH, back to an ERC-20. The fact that ETH is the native token on the Ethereum network is irrelevant. The possibilities are endless. Words like buying or selling do not work well for this situation because there is no foundational unit of account. Better words for this are trading or swapping. Swapping means there are two persons that desire to trade with each other. Each person has a token that the other does not. They agree on a trading ratio. Person 1 is willing to release 5 of token A, and person 2 is willing to release 2 of token B. They make the exchange at a ratio of 5 to 2. The idea that either person is buying or selling is a subjective perspective from one side of the transaction. In a token swap, it is all about ratios. Ratios are what we lose sight of when we think of dollars in the fiat world. We are conditioned to think of a dollar as a unit of account with a stable value. In reality, it is just another token. In crypto speak, 
a trash coin. When we are saying buying or selling, that is because there are laws that govern that activity with respect to dollars. Those laws are things like legal tender laws, taxes, appraisals, contracts, and dispute litigation. The point is that when you think in ratios, you begin to see the dollar as just another token with its own set of properties rather than as a fundamental unit with a stable value. Now that I have explained swapping and ratios, I can explain what a DEX does. A DEX is two components, an order book and a router. The order book is called an Automated Market Maker, or AMM. The order book is code that collects various token orders that different persons are willing to make. The router function, just like your internet router, scans the list of orders and finds a way to match orders that pile up. Like a game of Tetris, the router assembles the orders so they get filled by getting stacked or split such that the orders are continuously satisfied and there are no leftovers. When too many leftovers pile up in Tetris, then you lose the game. A DEX is different from an OTC market. That means over-the-counter. An OTC market can stack orders, but it might not be able to split orders depending on the order entry system. An OTC market is like if every Tetris piece was the same. An OTC market is not going to have a common inventory system. DEXs and Synexes can both have common inventory systems, but they aren't structured the same way. A Synex, or broker-dealer, is a person that is likely to have a personal pool of various tokens at the ready to speed up order fulfillment. That is a common inventory. The personal pool is like a sink that is half full and running constantly, but the sink is draining as fast as it is filled, so it always stays half full. A DEX like Uniswap or PulseX allows for a decentralized pool. This common pool is created by liquidity providers, known as LPs. A liquidity provider is a person who offers up two tokens to the DEX. The person creates a contract with the DEX where the DEX accepts the two different tokens and returns a claim ticket called an LP token. The LP token does not guarantee that the provider will receive the same ratio of tokens back. It is a near certainty that the ratio will change during normal market activity. As traders use the DEX to conduct swaps with each other, the DEX looks for the appropriate decentralized coin pair pool and routes the trade so that each trader is essentially trading with the pool rather than with each other. The token pair liquidity pool represents a store, like a flea market, where different providers put their own inventory on the shelves. Traders come into the store to make an exchange, bringing their tokens in a cart with them. The automated market maker is a robot that identifies which shelf has the goods, puts the goods into a second cart, then swaps carts with the trader. The order book protocol defines how much of the robot's profit goes to the liquidity provider who provided stock on the shelves 
for the robot to use. Unlike a Cinex, the market maker robot of a DEX is not motivated by profit. Profit is a function of the embedded DEX fee and the variable network gas fee that the DEX does not control. There must be some profit for the DEX to function. A small part of the profit will go to a DEX token. Uniswap has Uni, and PulseX will have PLSX. Most of the profit goes to the liquidity provider. A Cinex is an entity that must make risk assessments and decisions because they receive all the trading profits and they stock the shelves themselves. In contrast, a DEX makes a small portion of profit because it assumes no risk. Liquidity providers assume the most risk on a DEX because after they have added a ratio of inventory, they no longer have control of that inventory. In aggregate, traders have control of the inventory by placing orders. Liquidity providers can mitigate their risk by adding or removing the amount of token pairs available to traders. An individual trader takes on some risk when trading, but this can be managed with setting a maximum slippage loss or placing a limit order instead of a market order. One of the riskiest things an individual trader can do on a DEX is place a large order relative to the size of the inventory without setting a maximum slippage or placing a limit order. It's hard for me to say what is a large order. I think of it like 10% of the liquidity pool, like an order of 1 million hex from a pool of 10 million. Small traders should still exercise care. There are other risk factors with DEXs that aren't worth most people's time to learn about. Things like MEV bots, that's maximum extractable value. Or DEX properties like symmetric versus asymmetric liquidity pools. Uniswap V2 is symmetric, meaning the LP cannot select a price range to operate in. Inventory is added symmetrically around current price. Uniswap V3 uses asymmetric pools. This gives LPs the advantage to setting any price ranges to offer, which means no one has to offer liquidity at the current price. Most LPs want to have inventory in the price range where people are trading because that's how they earn fees from trades. LPs face a special type of risk called impermanent loss. Impermanent loss may become permanent if the LP removes stock from the store shelves. Impermanent loss occurs when traders prefer to buy one token consistently more than another token. Let's say an LP offers equal amounts of token A and token B while they're both worth the same amount meaning a one-to-one -one ratio. One day, traders buy all the token B. Token B price rises 5x. At the same time, token A is getting sold off and its price drops 5x. The LP suffers a 60% impermanent loss. This loss is unrealized. It could go back the other way if the market reverses. 
if it goes far in the other direction, the LP can suffer impermanent loss that direction also. As long as the LP does not reclaim his inventory at the new ratio, then the change is not realized. The ideal situation for an LP is that lots of trades occur in a narrow price range that the LP is supplying. The LP earns fees on trades. The trade-off for providing liquidity is that you accept risk of the ratio leaving you behind in exchange for the upside of earning passive income if the ratio stays in your happy zone. The website dailydefi.org has an impermanent loss calculator that you can look at. Now I'm going to take a step back. What is so special about a DEX? The answer is in the name. A true decentralized exchange is part of the blockchain. It cannot be removed or shut down. Websites can go down. Websites are front ends, an easy-to-use user interface. For example, Uniswap V2 is a DEX. Just because V3 is released and is the main thing you see on the website and everyone starts using V3, that does not mean that V2 stops working. It will work as long as the blockchain works. If any one front-end website goes down, someone can put up another one. On the Ethereum network, anyone can use the Block Explorer website etherscan.io to interact directly with the code. This is an advanced method, but it exists. Uniswap.org, the organization, cannot remove or block V2. If they had built-in admin keys in the beginning, maybe they could switch it off. But their code is open and auditable and locked. As long as LPs offer liquidity to a DEX and traders come to pay fees in order to access that inventory through an order book and router, then the DEX lives. If no one uses it, it just sits there as lifeless inert code. What else is special about a DEX? Synexes may have lower trading fees than DEXs. A Synex wants to keep you in the walled garden and actively trading. That way they can scrape fees. DEXs don't care. DEXs have no agenda. DEXs are DeFi. Synexes are not DeFi. Another way to say it is that DEXs are real DeFi and Synexes are fake DeFi. If the exchange is controlled by a company or CEO, then it is not DeFi. Synexes, being centralized, attract other centralized things, like fake crypto. Some examples of fake crypto are stablecoins, or tokens with admin keys, or hidden network consensus activities, or anything that settles off-chain like a Layer 2 protocol or dark pool. Fake crypto is not useless, but it does not adhere to the principles of cryptocurrency. DEXs attract decentralized things. HEX has not been listed on a centralized exchange in three years of flawless operation. Synexes do not want real crypto like HEX because people who like real crypto also tend to like real DeFi. 
DeFi fans who trade their crypto on a DEX also do activities like claiming and minting and staking and burning outside of a centralized platform. Coin ranking sites and companies want you trading frequently on a Cinex and getting chopped up by fees. People with real crypto who use real DeFi have control of their own keys. On a Cinex, you do not own crypto. The Cinex owns the crypto and you have a claim. They don't have to pay you back if they go bankrupt or don't feel like it. Real crypto is about personal control and responsibility and about not using a middleman. What are some examples of DEXs? app.uniswap.org and matcha.xyz are good in the United States. Hex.com has a front end for Uniswap that already has Hex loaded, so you do not have to import the token. Uniswap does market orders. Matcha does market and limit orders. Those outside the U.S., such as Europe, can use OneInch.io. OneInch does market and limit orders. When PulseChain mainnet launches, then the DEX PulseX will launch, and it is believed it will do both market and limit orders. There are developers in the Hex and PulseChain fan communities that run front ends for Uniswap or will build front ends for PulseX when it appears. Limit Orders Both on DEXs and on traditional stock brokerage platforms, there are different ways to place an order to swap this for that. DEXs do market and limit orders. Market orders settle at a ratio close to the ratio of the last completed trade. Limit orders allow you to set the ratio that is acceptable for you. Market orders add gas fees onto the quoted trade ratio. Limit orders include gas fees in the demanded trade ratio. Because limit orders must include gas fees in the ratio, a limit order might not execute if the market ratio and the limit ratio are the same. Some buffer must be present for gas. Market orders move the market ratio. Buying lots of token A with token B raises the price of token A versus token B and lowers the price of token B to token A. Limit orders do not apply buy pressure or sell pressure. Limit orders sit on the order book as single token or single side liquidity, so they are not part of the token pair liquidity pool provided by liquidity providers. If the DEX does not reveal limit orders, then no one knows if they are there. It is like an invisible liquidity pool. Not a dark pool, an invisible pool. Dark pools are when transactions are unknown. Transactions of real crypto are on-chain and therefore all public. Invisible orders are sitting on the bench waiting to be brought into the game into public view. If token A costs 10 of token B and someone buys enough token A with token B to raise the token A ratio from 10B to 12B, then any limit orders that exist below 12B will be filled before the regular liquidity pool is tapped at 12B. The order book fills limit orders as it moves through prices. 
Limit orders do not affect price. This means a sure way to increase the price of a token is for the majority of orders to be market buys and limit sells. The reverse is also true. Limit orders are also unaffected by slippage. A seller of a large number of tokens can conserve value on a sale by being patient and setting a limit order. The seller assigned an expiration time to the limit order. The limit order may fill over several transactions automatically or all at once. If the order does not fill and expires, then no swap is made. A major seller can trade immediacy and a possibility of nothing happening in exchange for a set sale price that cannot decrease due to slippage or sudden gas spikes. You cannot see the limit orders, but you can see liquidity pools. If you want to visualize a pool at uniswap.org, click the Pools tab, then input the name of a token in the search bar. All pools are arranged in token pairs. You will see multiple pools of hex USDC and hex ETH because each pool has its own fee rate that goes to liquidity providers. If the slippage setting on a Uniswap trade console is set lower than the fee rate of any of the pools, then a trade might not go through. If you do not set slippage on the trade console settings, then it is automatically set to auto, even if it appears that there is a number there. The setting is auto and it will allow any fee rate or slippage amount. The common fee rates are 0.3% and 1%. There is also 0.05% and 0.01%. Not all token pair pools have all fee rates. Aside from the fee rate, you can see what the volume is of tokens locked in the pool. More trades will execute when there is both low fees and a high volume of liquidity pairs. Large players, known as whales, can influence the market if they possess a large portion of a pool where a lot of trading is occurring. For example, Whales can start a selling cascade that is continued by the market, and then the market sells down into a liquidity range owned by the same whale, so the whale can scoop up the token he was just selling for much cheaper while also making fees. There are many whale games. Just be aware that big money plays in liquidity pools. Doing liquidity providing at a large scale is similar to the business model of a broker where the risk of inventory is spread out over many revenue-generating zones. All markets, where trading is conducted, not just DEXs and not just crypto, but the stock market or any other market where brokers and traders are involved, all have whales playing whale games. Price Zones can have more or less liquidity. In a symmetrical pool, the most liquidity is around the market price. In an asymmetrical pool, the liquidity could seem to appear in chunks in various ranges. Tepid trading activity will tend to gravitate toward higher liquidity zones. However, 
If big transactions or big volumes occur, then the market price could buy or sell its way into a low liquidity zone. And if there is still more buying or selling to do, then it can rip through that low liquidity zone. One reason why cryptocurrencies can be so volatile is because of big moves through low liquidity. The moves can be big in either the up or down direction. How you feel about low liquidity is usually impacted by whether the coin you like has seen a big price move up or down in a low liquidity market. For example, holders of either Bitcoin or HEX in those coins' early years enjoyed the fact that there was more up movement in low liquidity environments than there was down movements. Now I am going to switch topics away from mechanics to the user experience. When someone uses a DEX, they can use MetaMask as a front end for their hardware wallet. The user can load the hardware wallet information into MetaMask so that MetaMask can connect the wallet to a DEX front end website. On the DEX website, there is a trading console. The console shows what token the user is disposing of in order to gain another token. If the DEX does not have a token listed, the user may have to import the token contract address to the DEX to get it to show up. DEXs do not list every coin. Front ends handle the coin listing. If a front end owner does not like a coin, he can choose not to list it. That leaves it up to the user to import the address. The price will update as the transaction blocks on the blockchain are created. The console for a market order will have a settings button where the user can set slippage to a maximum like 0.3% and set the timeout to something reasonable like 3 minutes. Somewhere in or around the console, there will be some indication of gas fees. The gas fee estimates may appear lower than the estimates seen in MetaMask when being asked to approve gas for a transaction. The trade console will show the token swap ratio. This is like the price. If selling a coin like USDC, the USDC will ask for a free signing permission to trade the USDC. When the user approves permission, then the user can sell that token. Sometimes a DEX will ask for a spending limit permission. This is up to the user, but for USDC, for example, setting a limit may result in much higher gas fees. The console may also show the swap fees that will be deducted. If the user is comfortable with the market order settings, the user may execute the trade. The user has to approve the gas fee. When approving the gas fee, the user may see that his transaction will be either a swap or a multi-call. These are the same thing to most people. The multi-call involves at least one more step than a simple one-to-one -one exchange. Pulling tokens from two sources or using a go-between coin are two ways to do a multi-call. On Ethereum, the trade may take 12 to 14 seconds. While the trade is pending or after it is finished, it can be viewed on a block explorer. Etherscan.io is the premier block explorer for the Ethereum network. 
One thing to remember when looking at Etherscan is that ETH is a native token, so it is not listed under ERC-20 transactions. ERC-20s are smart contracts on Ethereum. Many, but not all, smart contracts are non-native tokens. Some smart contracts are things like DEXs or NFTs. When doing a limit order, the user may be restricted to trading certain tokens, such as RAPDETH or USDC. The RAPDETH ticker is WETH. Users should be very cautious when setting limit order prices because you are setting the ratio of one token to another. If it happens to be USDC, maybe that resembles a dollar value. But if you are doing ETH or wrapped ETH, then it is going to be the ETH value. So decimals matter. How many zeros out from the decimal matters. You should pay very close attention to this because otherwise you will be thinking about things in dollar terms when you should be thinking about things in crypto terms and a specific crypto. Not paying attention to this is a great way to lose money or to spend way more than you meant to on a trade. Users should pay close attention to the ratio of the two coins and the time limit that they set for those coins to trade. If the time limit is too short, then maybe the trade will fail. When you set a limit order, you will not be able to use those tokens for anything else. So if you set your trade for too long of a time frame, then you will have to wait for that limit order to expire before you can trade those coins. Users who have a need for immediacy or who do not want to come back to reset a limit order later if it does not go through, should probably opt for market orders. Limit orders exist on stock brokerage websites, and so if a person does that, it will be a similar sort of thing. There may not be all the bells and whistles of a stock brokerage website like stop limits and things like that. When a limit order completes, there is a good possibility that the user will see multiple transactions because the limit order might take multiple transactions to fill. And when it fills, then the limit order will complete, and that's it. On a website like matcha.xyz, you can see the progress of your limit order. Okay then, I've covered a lot of basics about decentralized exchanges. I am not an expert on DEXs, and I may have some errors or inconsistencies in my statements, but I am simply trying to convey basic concepts. I hope you have learned something new, or have learned how to better articulate something that you already knew. This podcast is not financial advice. This is education. My intent is to give you some baseline information about DEXs. It is up to you if you want to know more. I would suggest looking at the websites of the decentralized exchanges to see how they explain how they work. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day.